Good morning, Red Sea Roundup listeners. This is a fill-in host for you this morning. Thaddeus Romanski, your general manager and station director of KEDC here in the Bryan College Station, Brazos Valley area. You're listening to Red Sea Catholic Radio, also on KYAR 98.3 FM in Central Texas and KINF 107.9 FM in Palestine. You can call in during the show at 85-LOVE-RED-SEA. That's 855-683-7332. And now we are going to begin our show, as we've always done during this year of St. Joseph, with our prayer to our blessed guardian. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. O blessed Joseph, faithful guardian of my Redeemer, Jesus Christ, protector of your chaste spouse, the Virgin Mother of God, I choose you this day to be my special patron and advocate, and I firmly resolve to honor you all the days of my life. Therefore, I humbly call on you to receive me as your adopted child, to instruct me in every doubt, to comfort me in every affliction, to obtain for me all the knowledge and love of the sacred art of Jesus, and finally to defend and protect me at the hour of my death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We'd like to remind you that making this prayer during the year of St. Joseph carries with it a plenary indulgence instead of the usual partial indulgence, Dennis. That's right. Dennis is on the buttons this morning. Good Dennis morning. Maka. A plenary indulgence is the complete remission of the temporal punishment due to sins that, remember, have already been absolved through the sacrament of confession. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. W- was that your Laverne and Shirley moment for me? You know, the Lenny and Squiggy, mm-hmm. whenever they say something derogatory and they go, hello. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. You you mentioned in need of plenary indulgence, and you said, Dennis. <laughs> no, I wasn't. Is that what that was about? No, no, I was just trying to kind of get your attention. <laughs> All right. Um, remember, you can also it's offer true. this indulgence, especially for a deceased family member's release from purgatory. So good morning, everybody. You're not hearing your usual end-of-the-month Red Sea Roundup host, Judy Como. It's me, Thaddeus Romanski. I'm filling in for her because she's got a wedding right around the corner. And so I said, hey, let me take this Wednesday. Judy's daughter has a wedding. Sorry, <laughs> Judy's daughter has a wedding. <laughs> but, you know, it is the it is the mother of the bride's wedding, really, more than it is the bride's. You know, there is a certain sense in which that's true. No, I, I can relate completely. I just didn't want our public to think, you know. Yeah, I don't uh, want to scandalize Keith, Keith, anyone. what's up? Don't want to scandalize anyone. Thank you for the correction, Dennis. <laughs> um, Hello. <laughs> and it was going to give me an opportunity to interview the uh, author of this great book, Liberty's Lions, The Catholic Revolutionaries Who Established America, Dan Leroy. We're going to talk to him in the second part of the show. Right now, we're going to be getting on the line with John Pachi, who is the director of the Bryan Office of Cent- Catholic Charities of Central Texas here in Bryan, and he's got some exciting stuff to talk to us about. They've got a great big event going on tomorrow that we're really proud and happy to be a part of. John, how are you doing this morning? Hi, doing great. Thanks, Thaddeus. Hello, Dennis. Good to hear from you, John. Thanks. Thanks so much for coming back on with us. And John, let's get right to it. Give us the details and the nuts and bolts of tomorrow's event. 
You bet. Thank you so much. Well, and first, thank you, Red Sea Radio, for all your support leading up to this this wonderful day that we're going to have tomorrow. Uh, so excited for our community fundraising event. It's going to be called, is called Catholic Charities Giving Day. And uh, we wanted to host an event focused on celebrating our community and, and giving back and inviting all Red Sea listeners to join us tomorrow from 7.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. That's at our office at 1410 Cabin Avenue in Bryan. And you're going to be able to help others or if you're in need to help yourself. We have a drive-through event where we're accepting donations and we're also giving to the community free diapers, wipes, hygiene kits. And so um, as part of this event, we're accepting donations that uh, no gift would be too big or too small. And I want to really emphasize that. Uh, all the funds raised in Brazos Valley stays in Brazos Valley. And so, again, I'm inviting everyone to, to join us in the fun. It's going to be a feel-good celebration. We'll be giving away free tacos, uh, mm-hmm. and lunch, and breakfast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, local vendors providing that. Bishop Super. Joe Vasquez will be there from 10 to 12. Yes. And many other Bryan College Station community leaders will be there as well. And as a special um, announcement, we're giving away special prizes mm. between 10 and 12. So, well, this is getting better uh, all the time. Make it between, yeah, I mean, we're just, we just keep giving. We keep <laughs> going, you know. I can do this all day, as they say. Right. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, and, and I wanted to also just mention, if you hear the hours of 7.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m., it's like, wow, you know, I've got a conflict during that time or through that window of time. You can always send a family member, a friend, a neighbor, to come and, and pick up or, or give. We don't um, check to see if you're a client of ours. This is for everyone in the community. So if you need hygiene kits, diapers, and you just can't get out here, you can definitely send someone and they'll drive by and, and get your, um, you know, your giveaways for you. So I wanted to make sure that people were aware of that as well. Excellent. John, you also are a recent addition to our Bryan College Station community. Talk about how you've, uh, what, you, what else you've been doing in, with Catholic Charities prior to your appointment as the director, and what your first few weeks of uh, living here in the, in the BCS has been like. Oh, wow, yeah. Well, the latter part of your question has been wonderful. We've been welcomed with open arms, so I just want to say that. Thank you to the community here. My, my wife and I I have just loved um, the last couple of months that we've been here. We just moved here. And so prior to us relocating, I was working in financial stability program for Catholic Charities as the director of the program. And, um, you know, this, this came up, this, this opportunity, and it's, it's very important to always remember St. Joseph. And I love that prayer at the beginning because St. Joseph, as the, um, you know, leader and head of that holy family, it just invigorates and inspires us to uh, make this relocation happen. So a lot of praying to him as we made this relocation, but the relocation was the after effect of why I wanted to come here. I wanted to come here um, transitioning from financial stability program to the director of the Brazos Valley, because we already made a statement out here and helping many families in all of our programs. And I just wanted to get out and, and continue that and expand our program presence to be able to help more. And that's what I've been um, doing. And, and uh, you know, with the help of, of Red Sea, for sure, in promoting oh, our thanks. big day tomorrow, along with other community partners that I've been engaged with. 
and talking with um, throughout these last four years I've been with Catholic Charities, we're off to a great start. And, and I'm just, you know, the year of St. Joseph is so appropriate. We're looking for bigger and better things as we progress, and, and with his help, of course. Fantastic. Well, as they used to say, you know, I hope it's a, uh, the beginning of a beautiful friendship, right? Between uh, you being here as the director, which is an awesome commitment to the Brazos Valley and the, the communities here by Catholic Charities to put a permanent in-residence director. That's really, really exciting. So, so thank you for taking on that, that challenge and, and being open to the Holy Spirit to move your family here. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't couldn't have said it better. Holy Spirit, all the way. So in case the people who just now tuned in missed any of the details, let's wrap up by by giving them the details of the event tomorrow and and start out with that delicious, enticing part, which is uh, tacos. (laughs) Yeah, you know, the the best part about it right now. So, uh, yeah, we will be offering free tacos at breakfast, free tacos at lunch. There'll be uh, donuts as well. Wow. And we have the drive-through event. It starts at 7.30 a.m., goes until 1.30 p.m. The drive-through consists of you giving as a donation. No financial gift will be too big or too small. And we're also giving to the community for those that need diapers and wipes and hygiene kits. No questions asked. This is for everyone. Um, It's going to be a fun, feel-good celebration. And it's at 1410 Cabot Avenue in Bryan tomorrow, April 29th, 7.30 to 1.30 p.m. And... Come see, you know, between 10 and 12, Bishop Joe Vasquez will be there and many other Bryan College Station community leaders. So I hope to see you there. And if you cannot make it for any reason, that's okay. You can make an early donation to Catholic Charities Giving Day at cccx.org. Okay. And also pray for good weather tomorrow, right? Because there's some rain in the schedule. There's some rain in the schedule, but I've been seeing diminishing percentages. So the prayers are working. So please, Red Sea family, please continue your prayers. All right, we will, John. Hey, thanks for the time this morning, and we'll see you. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow morning, man. We'll be out there. Oh, I can't wait. Thank you. Looking forward to it. Thank y'all. Thanks so long, John. Appreciate it. Take care. Bye bye. Yeah, that's right, bye. folks. Tune in tomorrow between ten and noon to Red Sea Radio, and we will be on the air, bringing you live interviews with Bishop Vasquez. Uh, I think the Vicar General, John. Pachi will be on with us again. Sarah Ramirez, the director of Catholic Charities of Central Texas, will be on. And we're just going to be breaking in occasionally on the, uh, on the regular programming during, from 10 to noon. So be listening to us on the breaks tomorrow at the Central Texas Catholic Charities of Central Texas Giving Day from 7.30 to 1.30 tomorrow in Bryan. Looking forward to it. Yeah. It's going to be great. Especially those tacos. Hey, I uh, wanted to give you a little teaser of our guest coming up in the second part of the show, Dan Leroy. I'm going to be interviewing him about his book, Liberty's Lions. And he has a, a chapter in here on the role of Philadelphia in the Revolutionary War. And he mentions, he talks about a church, a famous church in Philadelphia called Old St. Joseph's Church. And did you know, Dennis... When it opened in 1733, so that's about 43 years before the beginning of the Revolutionary War, it was the only place in the British Empire where you could attend a public mass. If you, wow. there, The anti-Catholic discrimination was so intense in the British Empire hmm. at that point that 
most Catholics had to celebrate Mass in secret. In fact, the population of England's Catholics at that point, 1% of the population. Goodness. By, Did not know that. By that time, or approaching that. So lots and lots of interesting uh, history to be unveiled and the role that Catholics played in achieving our country's independence. And I think you're going to really enjoy that. Um, Dennis, anything else you want to add for the good of the order? We're just very excited that uh, people are crawling back back out of their homes and uh, out from behind their masks and coming uh, out back into the public. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our bishop has uh, put a declaration and a lifting of the dispensation. I think that's starting here... um this month coming up Mm -hmm. in May. So Mm -hmm. if you haven't been able to get back to Mass and have been just on live streaming, we would love, each of our churches in our listening area would love to welcome you with open arms back back to the uh, in-person Mass if you haven't been back. Most of the parishes are still going to continue to have some offer a variety of setups and and things for— Check with uh, your local church for sure to see. For Mass. Some churches are having certain masses have no social distancing where others are having, that's kind of the designated mass where they're still having, like in a parish activity center where they're having spacing requirements still available. So check with your local church office, but for sure, uh, we're looking forward to everything getting back, back into normal. We're having lots of great things that we're planning for Red Sea Catholic Radio, Red Sea Apostolate, all of that's coming up in the near to come future. So stay tuned. Indeed. And uh, one last thing with our uh, year of St. Joseph, based on our guest last last week, uh, something my family has been doing, we've been praying the litany of St. Joseph at night as a family, and it's mm-hmm. been a beautiful, beautiful experience. And it's an easy thing to put in as a family. So coming up next, we're going to be with Dan Leroy, author of Liberty's Lions. And before that, at the beginning of the hour, we're going to talk to a very, very a special young lady, Marissa Kapovic, and the beautiful charitable work she's doing up in Waco. So don't miss. Come back with us. Red Sea Roundup here in uh, about two and a half minutes. We'll be back. Right after the break. Happy Mon- uh, Happy Wednesday, everyone. Dennis. I know. All right, welcome back to Red Sea Roundup here on Red Sea Catholic Radio. You're listening in KEDC 88.5 FM in the Brazos Valley, KYAR 98.3 FM in Central Texas, KINF 107.9 FM in Palestine. And let's not forget that you can always listen on our Red Sea Radio app. Two taps, folks. One tap to open it up on your phone, one tap to start the stream, and you're getting great Catholic content whenever you want. With me right now is a very intrepid and uh, precocious young lady, Marissa Kapovic, coming at us from Waco, Texas. Good morning, Marissa. Good morning. We are so proud of you and impressed to have you on the uh, radio with us. Talk to us about how you got involved with uh, 
helping a hero and specifically Corporal Sue's uh, case? Um, I've been involved in a veterans program since I was seven years old. Since I was seven years old, it has been my goal to build a home for one of these special heroes. Over the years, I have also organized several smaller-scale fundraisers to benefit wounded soldiers. In December, I tore my ACL. So in January of this year, I had reconstructive ACL surgery. It was a struggle to do basic activities, and I needed help with almost everything. Then I learned about Sue. Sue is a recipient this year for an adapted home. She is also a double amputee. After we were introduced, Sue inspired me to take on the challenge of building an adapted home for her, the project that I had been dreaming about since I was a little girl. Wow. Man, that is impressive, Marissa. And uh, before you give the details of how people can get involved, would you uh, be so bold as to tell us how much money people have already given to your cause, how much money you've already raised? We have raised about 52% of our goal so far, which is $184,000. That is amazing. That is awesome. All through the generosity of your fellow uh, Central Texans and through your example and your desire to uh, unite your suffering and Sue's suffering to the sufferings of our Lord on the cross. That's beautiful. Talk to us about the event that you've come up with. Um, Well, the virtual 5K is open from April 1st to April 30th, and there is a live 5K on May 1st at St. Mary's Sports Facility in West, and it starts at 8.30 a.m. There will also be an option in West to walk the one mile. T-shirts and medals will be provided, and the cost is 45 and 25 for students under 18. All of the money goes towards building Sue's home. Okay, and then give us give us the uh, the details of the website one more time, Marissa, where people can can find out all the information that they need. You can sign up by typing "Run Sign Up Helping a Hero Patriots Day 5K" into your browser. Okay, so Patriots Day 5K would if they even search that would that probably probably get them to where they needed to go. Yes, sir. Okay, great. And and Marissa, you are a proud student of St. Louis Riker High School, yes? Yes, sir. So you are just making an awesome, awesome example of the kind of people that they are, are putting out there. Thank you. Marissa, you're doing all this in high school? You you sound, honestly, I've not talked to you before. This is Dennis Maka. Uh, I thought you were post-college. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I'm impressed. Wow. Thank you. That's very impressive. High school senior, yes? Um, I'm a junior. High school junior. High school junior. Even more impressive. Wow. Great things to come, Marissa. Thank you so much for uh, caring about Sue by honoring her sacrifice that she made for our country and for being such a great representative of of your parents, your community, your high school. Thank you for being on with us this morning. One Mm -hmm. more time, how can people find out how to get involved? Um, you can sign up by typing "Run Sign Up Helping a Hero Patriots Day 5K" into your browser. All right, Marissa. Thank you. Now, uh, I guess you have to get back to class. Sorry. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> thank you, Marissa. You're awesome. So long. God bless. God thank bless. Thank you. We've got Dan Leroy on the line, ready to go. Howdy. Good morning, Dan. How are I you? I am ready. 
I'm doing fine. Thanks, gentlemen. Thank you guys for having me on Red Sea Roundup. You bet, man. You are coming all the way to us from the great Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, yes? That is correct, right outside of Pittsburgh, PA. Oh, okay. Now, this is going to maybe disappoint you a little bit, but my family is originally, my grandfather grew up in Allentown, Pennsylvania. I'm, I, I grew up in Colorado, in Denver, but I was raised as a Philadelphia Phillies fan, Philadelphia Eagles fan, so I've got a little well, bit of connection the to the I'm homeland. I'm disappointed. Uh, I'm not disappointed at all because I'm actually a native West Virginian. So I'm a stranger in a strange land (laughs) like so many other people. (laughs) Okay, awesome, awesome. Well, let's let's get into your your book that uh, is published by Sophia Institute Press, and they can get a copy of it by going to sophiainstitute.com. They can order it right there, or they can order it wherever else fine books are sold. And the title of the book is Liberty's Lions, the Catholic Revolutionaries Who Established America. Um, why, why this book and why now? What, in, what d- inspired you to write this book? Well, the thing that makes me really happy to be able to say just in terms of inspiration is the idea actually started in the Perpetual Adoration Chapel uh, at the parish where I attend. I'm fortunate enough to be in a parish that uh, believes that that is an important thing. So I was sitting uh, one Sunday evening in March of 2019 and had a copy of Magnificat in there. And in Magnificat is a monthly column by a guy named Anthony Esselin, who Mm -hmm. is a professor, great writer. And he writes a column called How the Church Changed the World. And he wrote about Kazimierz Pulaski, one of the Polish patriots. And in reading this column that he wrote, it struck me that there really wasn't a single book that I knew of that tried to collect all the stories of all the Catholic contributors to the revolution. Mm -hmm. And it turned out, I think I was right. And so that was part of what made me decide to do it, the idea that we ought to put all these stories under one cover for the first time. But I'm happy to say that it started as a lot of great things started, I think, uh, in the Adoration Chapel. That is a beautiful story. Now, folks, we're talking to a gentleman who, according to his bio at the back of this book, has written for the New York Times, Rolling Stone, Newsweek, The Village Voice, National Review. It says he is certainly the only person in history to have contributed to publications founded by William F. Buckley Jr. and by Gene Simmons of KISS. The, and, the late and not always lamented uh, Tongue Magazine. Yeah. <laughs> um, how does how does a guy go from uh, writing for for publications as uh, varied as that to publishing a book on Catholics in the War for Independence? Was your Catholic faith always at the center of? the kind of writing that you did, but in the background, or did you have a, a late in life uh, conversion? That's, that's often a, something that our listeners like to hear about. Well, uh, it's a, probably a more complicated story than we have time to get into here, but sure. I will say that I was, was born and baptized Catholic, grew up, uh, spent most of my childhood and a good chunk of my adulthood in the Episcopal Church, 
and then came back to the Catholic Church uh, about a dozen years ago. Uh, so to say that uh, my Catholic faith was an underpinning of, of all that stuff would probably not be true. But to say that faith generally was part of the underpinning definitely would be true, because even though I grew up in a mixed uh, household, one thing that was made clear to us, no matter what the denomination was, that uh, God loved us, but God also expected something of us. Mm. And in the imperfect way that we do, I guess I've always tried uh, to heed that admonition. Well, I think that you've produce something uh, that is worthy of, of emulation and worthy of reading. That's, that's your book, Liberty's Lions, The Catholic Revolutionaries Who Established America from Sophia Institute Press. Get it at sophiainstitute.com. Remember, you're listening to Red Sea Catholic Radio, 88.5 in the Brazos Valley, KYAR 98.3 in Central Texas, KINF in Palestine. We're with Dan Leroy. Okay, Dan, Let's talk about uh, what's the thrust of the book. What's the main thrust of the of the book? If you had to kind of give it your elevator pitch. Okay. Well, I would say this: that Catholics, even though they were in colonial times a, a very small minority, Catholics made disproportionate contributions to the revolutionary cause. They made contributions not just as participants but as leaders, leaders militarily, leaders economically, leaders intellectually, and of course, leaders spiritually. And there we're just talking about the colonial Catholics. If we add in the numbers of foreign Catholics from France, from Spain, from Poland, from Germany, all of a sudden the, the numbers game takes a decidedly different turn. And there are some estimates that say that as many as 70% of the soldiers who fought on the side of independence were Catholic. So uh, that is, I think, a figure that a lot of people are not familiar with. And I think a lot of people just generally are, are not familiar with these stories of colonial Catholics. And there are a lot of reasons why that might be so. Uh, could be a chicken and the egg thing. One part of it might just be there hasn't been a book until now that tries to put it all, as we were just saying, in one place for everybody to see. It's kind of been scattered in this book and that source, and it seemed like it was the right time to bring all that stuff together. And hopefully when you see it all in one place, it starts to become a little bit more impressive and tangible. Yeah, I think it does. And speaking of it all uh, coming together into one account, and it having previously been scattered in many accounts, let's talk about the research that you did for this book. I was very impressed by the varied nature of the sources that you consulted. Uh, you were dipping into the academic literature on the colonial period, uh, academic journals. You're, you know, consulted mul many, many kinds of uh, primary sources, just it was a historian's delight to go through your, your endnotes and your bibliography. Um, talk about that a little bit. Well, thank you, first of all, for saying that, because I, I take that as a, a great, great compliment, what you just said. Uh, I think it's one of the things that you sometimes hear authors say that, you know, they wrote the kind of book that they would like to read. And for me, uh, when I look at a book, 
And I, one of the first things I want to know is, okay, like where did this information come from? And generally when I'm writing about contemporary subjects, that means you know, I'm a journalist by trade. That means I want to talk to as many people as I possibly can. In this case, obviously, that wasn't possible, but that kind of made the impetus to go out and, and find as many of these primary sources as were possible. It made it even more important. And I, I'm like you. When I get a book, most of the time I go right to the end notes because I want to know before I even read it, like, okay, how did you put this together? And if I don't find anything or if I get the sense that somebody kind of did this off the top of their head, I got to admit, like, right away, I'm a lot less interested. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to know that somebody put the legwork in. And so, again, in that sense, I, I try to write the kind of book that I would pick up and say, okay, this looks legit. Uh, I'll read this. I have to say that I, I think that this book might not have been possible were it not for just the increasing number of primary sources that are available online. The fact that you You're can right. pull up so many uh, government documents easily from your own home, that you can, if you pay for some of the academic journal subscriptions, uh, you can just get those articles, especially the all those articles from the early 20th century by, was it Father Martin? Oh, Martin Griffin. Yes, yes. talk about him yes. a little bit. Well, there's a guy, and this is why I feel, as much as I love to get the compliment that you just gave me, I, I also, on the other hand, feel a little bit unworthy, <laughs> because a lot of this is just like doing the digging in the way that you just described. Like, this stuff is out there. Mm-hmm. You just have to know where it is and, and go after it. And Martin Griffin, I think, is a, a great example of a guy who did just an incredible uh, amount of, of research and writing about these great Catholics. And he's cited a, a bunch of times, as you say, uh, in the, the bibliography. Uh, he was a guy uh, who kind of, this was his life's project, documenting the, the contributions of Catholics throughout history, and in particular, in this revolutionary era that we're talking about. And my work certainly owes a ton to him. I have to say, we're talking about research, a big shout out to the Jesuits because their, uh, their online resource is a fantastic, just treasure trove of, of information uh, that was invaluable, especially when it came to talking about some of these Jesuit figures who, you know, whose history really has never been very well documented. And that was the primary place to find a lot of this information. They maintain a, a wonderful online database. And I was just the beneficiary of it. I, I just had to know what I was looking for and go in and, and grab it. So I feel like I really don't deserve, uh, you know, full credit for this because it, it's there. Uh, but I got to tell you, as a teacher, that's the thing that drives me crazy because younger people today, they don't know how to do this. Mm-hmm. And it's such a basic thing. And, and yet uh, it's a skill. The more information we get, the more elusive it seems to be. Anyway, tangent there. but <laughs> I think you're allowed to get up on a hobby horse uh, after writing a book like this. Um, and, and truly, what you're talking about is standing on the shoulders of giants. You know, this is a concrete exactly. example of that. Uh, one, one, one last uh piece before we get off the historiography. Um, and that's just the his- that's a fancy word for the history of the writing of history, um, folks. 
Um, ta- you mentioned the Jesuits. You mentioned somebody like uh, Martin who did so much work in the early 20th century on recovering the, the history of American Catholicism. Ta- I think you mentioned in a couple of places that there was a, you know, there was an organized effort by the historians, the kind of the mainstream historians of of America to not tell the contributions of Catholics. Uh, why was that? D- talk about that a little bit. I think it's probably not so much organized as it is just a matter of raw numbers. And in this case, if you look at the raw numbers, they tell you that during the colonial era, we're talking about something like 24 to 30,000 colonial Catholics, less than 2% of the population. Of those 24 to 30,000, we believe that the majority were patriots. But even then, we're talking about even smaller figures. So if you look at that figure, somewhere between 1% and 2%, it's easy for the historian or even the casual observer to say, well, like, okay, how important could this really have been? But numbers, you know, never tell you the whole story. And the numbers cut two ways here. One way is that out of that 24 to 30,000 colonial Catholics, a disproportionate amount were, again, not just patriots, but they were leaders. Uh, They were people who were indispensable to the revolutionary cause. And then when you flip the numbers around and you start talking again about the foreign Catholics and you get to that potential 70% number, um, you know, then the numbers game starts to look uh, a lot different. But I think a lot of historians have, have looked at the very small percentage of people and just made the actuarial uh, uh, conclusion. How, how important could it really be? And I hope this book answers the question very. <laughs> um, and part of that 70% number that you mentioned is because we're talking about all of the French primarily the French Catholic French, troops Spanish, yep. who were con- who were part of the allied armies that were fighting the British in North America. Um, and that kind of brings me to this, this question of speak to the irony of how there was a, there was an anti-Catholic sentiment among the, who we would traditionally see as the uh, founding generation. And there was certainly anti-Catholicism yep. in the, the legal codes of the colonies that then became the states. But then these same colonies are allying themselves with Spain and France, who are explicitly uh, <laughs> Catholic countries at that point. Was Were the founders aware of how uh, geopolitics made strange bedfellows? Did that, did that come up in some of the stories that you tell in the book and what you researched? There's, there's a quote that I think speaks to this very thing. And you know, just to cite one of the founders, Alexander Hamilton, a pretty familiar name mm-hmm. to most people today, is a guy who in 1774, after the passage of the Quebec Act, says, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, doesn't it make your blood run cold to think of these foreign armies uh, that are going to be loyal to the Pope and overrun the colonies? And then six or seven years later, uh, when the revolution is kind of reaching its peak and it looks like things could go either way, it's Hamilton who says, uh, you know, we're done for unless the French and the Spanish save us. And uh, he was right about that. Uh, That is what it took to save the the revolutionary cause. Now, how aware 
Hamilton was, and remember, Hamilton's an immigrant, so the idea of an immigrant talking about these immigrant armies mm-hmm. uh, is a little bit rich in the first place. And how aware he was of the fact that he, you know, reached this point where he he had to admit uh, it's also going to be the Catholics who are, are going to have to bail us out. I don't know. Uh, he's a smart guy. I think he had to be pretty aware that uh, there are a lot of contradictions in, in those views that he held. But his views were not that uncommon, as you point out, among the, the founders. Most of them uh, were either overtly or tacitly anti-Catholic because that was that was the way it was at the time. And you mentioned the Quebec Act, and that was actually really a flashpoint for... Um, it, it, it ginned up or struck a nerve with the kind of latent anti-Catholic feeling in the majority of the colonial population, and it was especially a driving force for independence. What was the Quebec Act? Why was that—that's often one of those acts that is forgotten about, but you point out that it was a very, very uh, insightful act. It's significant for a bunch of reasons, and one reason that doesn't get remembered today is that from the British perspective, even though it was uh, in one telling like completely hypocritical, it was also brilliant uh, because it was the British uh, telling the French Canadians that, look, we're going to let you have your religious freedom. Uh, Part of it's cynical, of course, like the British knew very well what effect that was likely to have on the colonists to the south. But the other part of it is, and and I think the book mentions this, that this is a strategy that the British would later use in in other places. The British realized pretty shrewdly that we are much more likely to win hearts and minds if we allow people to go about their business as they've been going about it. Uh, There's a quote, I think, from uh, from Guy Carlton in there who says, you know, the claims of thousands of French Canadians have to outweigh the claims of maybe five or six hundred British in Canada. Mm-hmm. And that's a strategy that they pursued elsewhere in other colonies. So it's it's a really smart, if cynical thing that they did. But it, it certainly had the desired effect on the colonists. The colonists uh, immediately act the uh uh, they gather together and they condemn the Quebec Act and they condemn it in the terms that we were just talking about, that uh, this is Britain uh, allowing all of these immigrants free reign. And, you know, next will come the Pope's armies and mm-hmm. you will be overrun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, the the other side of that is not too long afterward, uh, the colonists have to go to the Canadians and say, hey, guys, yeah. uh, listen, we were wondering if you would mind joining us uh, in a little revolution. And uh, that that was even more cynical than, than what the British did. And the, uh, the Canadians kind of saw right through that one. But again, a, a strange bedfellows kind of scenario again, exactly. once again. You're listening to Red Sea Catholic Radio's Red Sea Roundup. We're talking with Dan Leroy, who is the author of a new book from Sophia Institute Press. It's called Liberty's Lions, the Catholic Revolutionaries Who Established America. There's a lot more uh, leadership and contribution to the winning of independence that uh, supplements and goes beyond the traditional circle of the founding fathers, George Washington, 
Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, and Dan's book just ex- exciting tells tells exciting stories, interesting, engrossing stories, and and one of those uh, as a way to di- dig into some of the content of the book. Talk to me. You talked about the the Catholics, um, their aid of of French and Spanish aid for the patriot cause being so necessary. One of the early ways that happened was through something called the Roderigue Hortelet and Company. What was that? Uh, this is a fictitious, well, it actually existed, but it didn't exist for the purpose uh, that was stated. This is a, a dummy company that is set up to essentially funnel arms and supplies to the colonists. And it's set up by the playwright Beaumarchais, mm-hmm. uh, who was Catholic, although I think all indications are uh, a fairly nominal one. But nevertheless, uh, he is a patriot. He's a, a Frenchman. He, he's best known for his operas, probably more so than his financing of the revolution. But his efforts were absolutely critical. Uh, the French government supports his scheme to supply this covert aid to the patriots. And then, you know, speaking of those historical ironies we were just talking about, uh, the French, through this dummy company of Beaumarchais, uh, they support the patriots, they ship them guns, they ship them supplies, and these guns and supplies help the patriots win a very crucial victory at Saratoga, which then becomes the French excuse to get involved overtly instead of covertly in the revolution. The Patriots had to win a big battle to make French involvement feasible, and they do it, and they do it with French arms and French supplies. So a a kind of circular uh, bit of history there. But uh, by some accounts, Beaumarchais raised something on the order of, in today's dollars, $3 billion worth of aid uh, to the Patriots. Wow. And when you talk about, uh, you know, what would have happened if Catholics hadn't been involved in the revolution? Well, without that $3 billion, I think we can probably speculate pretty easily what would have happened. Nothing. We wouldn't be having this conversation right now, for starters. Or we'd be having it in a British accent, right? No, just, just kidding. <laughs> Quite. <laughs> um, let's, let's stay on the subject of some of the foreign Catholics for just a little bit longer. Um, you know, not to make it all about me, but um, talk to us about Thaddeus Kosciusko. Thaddeus Kosciusko. What was his contribution? He was a, a Polish engineer who did a number of things. Among them is he is the primary architect of West Point, which gave George Washington this impregnable fortress that he'd always wanted along the Hudson which was really the the key waterway in the the Revolutionary War. Control of that was absolutely critical because it really divided the the North and Northern and Southern theaters. Mm -hmm. Uh, He also goes South and among other things, he helps design these flat boats, which allow the Patriot armies to stay one step ahead of the British. And it's really in the South, just a war of attrition. The Patriots don't win any battles to speak of there, but they keep Cornwallis chasing after them 
and their their job is just to wear down the British Army. And Kosciuszko's uh, boat design allowed them to make some pretty hair-raising escapes uh, in, in a couple of cases. But the biggest thing I think that's worth talking about with him is he was a great friend of Jefferson's. And Jeff, such a great friend that Jefferson, after the war, begged him to come and live in America. And he even wanted to be buried next to him. He wanted to be buried side by side. What Kosciuszko wanted from Jefferson was he wanted to take all the money that he earned as a soldier in the revolution. And he wanted Jefferson to use it to free as many of his slaves as possible because he couldn't understand, just like a lot of people couldn't understand, how the guy who wrote these words that we're so familiar with about individual liberty could also be a slave owner. And that's the only thing he wanted from his friend, but it's something that Jefferson was either unable or unwilling or both to do. Uh, but it's also a reminder that although there were certainly Catholic slave owners, and that's something I hope the book doesn't try to shy away from, mm -hmm. but there were also folks like Kosciuszko who were completely against the institution of slavery and not only were against it, but tried to put their money where the mouths were. And he's probably the best example of that. Yeah. And we'll come, we'll come back uh, and talk about uh, the, hi the history of Catholics and slavery in, in the colonial period uh, more little towards the end. We've got about 10 minutes. A lot of people kind of along those lines might not really realize that there were colonial Catholics. You mentioned that they were about 1% to 2% of the population. Can you give us a little bit more of, a, of an overview of what was their role in colonial society, socially, politically, economic life of the colonies? Well, in some cases, and, and a guy that you could point to here is Charles Carroll of Carrollton, who is a Maryland Catholic, the only mm -hmm. Catholic signer of the Declaration of Independence, by some accounts, either the richest man in America or certainly one of the richest. Uh, this is a guy who was really a success in every sphere of life. If there were a guy, if there were a Catholic whom you would think would be able to be admitted to the inner circle, it would be Charles Carroll of Carrollton. But at least at the beginning, he was like everybody else. He was a second-class citizen. It didn't matter what his accomplishments were. It didn't matter how much money he had. He was excluded from the public life of the colonies. Mm -hmm. Now, that did change, and it changed in large part because people realized that this guy, again, was not just a... Uh, Monopoly man, money bags kind of character. He was also a, a brilliant thinker as much as any other person. He is the guy who is the intellectual spearhead of the revolution. He's a guy who saw 10 years before anybody else that revolution was going to be necessary and that it was possible for the colonists to win it. Uh, this is 10 years before people like Washington and Jefferson and Franklin, the rest are still hemming and hawing about, yeah, I don't know, maybe, maybe we can still salvage something uh, out of this relationship. Charles Carroll was over it 10 years before that. But to, to go to your point, uh, this is a guy who had to scrap for every bit of respect he got because, again, as a Catholic, 
in the colonies, even in a colony like Maryland, where it's founded on the promise of religious liberty. That wasn't always true for Catholics. And it wasn't true in any of the colonies necessarily. Uh, Maryland was among the most tolerant, Pennsylvania. Uh, but, you know, by and large, Catholics are they're shut out of of public life. They can't vote. Uh, they have to pay exorbitant taxes, even if they want to send their kids overseas to get a Catholic education. In some cases, they have to pay a huge surcharge just for the privilege of sending their kid on a dangerous boat ride that they may not survive and they may never even get to see their kids again, uh, even for the privilege of doing that. In, in some of the colonies, they have to pay a tax. So to be Catholic in the colonies at this time, okay, uh, you know, they, weren't, uh, they weren't executed. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't that kind of persecution, but it was definitely second-class citizenhood all the way down. White and martyrdom, we might say. Like New York. Yeah. Pardon? I said white martyrdom, we, we might say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so given that social position that, that most Catholics occupied, um, you have a great quote from Father Metzger, who was a, a Catholic Jesuit historian in 1949, and he said that what is totally surprising is, quote, not that there were Tories, those are loyalists to the crown among the Catholics, but that in spite of the discrimination and persecution in the colonies that they had been subject, subjected to in colonial days, so many Catholics did espouse the Patriot cause. T- tease out, what is, what is Father Metzger driving at, and, and why, why were there some Catholics like Carol who believed in the Patriot cause? What did they see in the potential of America? I think there you have to look uh, at the experience of Maryland Catholics, which is unlike the experience of any other Catholics in the colony. Maryland, as we just said, was founded on this promise of religious liberty. And 50 years before the revolution, Maryland Catholics are making the argument that by virtue of their founding as a colony, by virtue of the the religious liberty that was guaranteed to them in uh, the founding of this colony, that they're no longer bound by the laws and customs of England. They are a separate entity. Mm -hmm. Uh, They may still be joined to England, but they've become something different. And this, I think, as much as anything else, is what we see as the the intellectual seed of the revolution. If you look at the beginning of the Declaration of Independence, and when in the course of human events, well, that's really just a paraphrase of what Maryland Catholics were arguing 50 years earlier, that, look, uh, we are a, a separate entity. We are not part of your laws. We're not part of your customs. And as much as anything else, even despite the persecution that they had suffered at the hands of their fellow colonists, this, I think, is the thing that Catholics saw as the the potential. This is the thing that convinced them to throw their lot in with the Patriot cause. The idea that, look, we know what we're getting with Britain. We've been down this road before. The devil, you know, uh, as they say. Uh, Here in, in America, this experiment that's going on at least holds out the potential to be part of a, a new place under a new set of laws, a new set of customs that perhaps will be more welcoming to Catholics. And, hey, I think we see in large part how that turned out. It was a good bet 
Now, as we go into our last five minutes here, Dan, and Dan's the author of Liberty's Lions. We've been talking to him about his book, The Catholic Revolutionaries Who Established America. You can get it at sophiainstitute.com. As we go into our last five minutes here, Dan, thank you so much for being with us. Um, I think that's a good place to also now go into this this interesting relationship between the uh, the history of Catholic colonial Americans and black colonial Americans. And you you write elsewhere in the book that the history of Catholics and black Americans and editorial, a small percentage of those blacks were also Catholic. Um, history is painfully, their history is painfully intertwined, a braided umbilical cord that sometimes threatened to strangle the birth of a nation. I think we could also take that quote from Father Metzger and say, it's equally uh, surprising that there were blacks who were members of the Patriot cause, who believed in the ideals of the Patriot cause. Talk a little bit about that that relationship between those two groups that you you discuss in the book. Give people a sense of that. Well, I think, first of all, it is no secret that Catholics, and we've mentioned a couple of them already, some Catholics were slaveholders. Charles Carroll of Carrollton was, by some accounts, the largest or certainly one of the largest slaveholders in the colonies at this time. Uh, The Jesuits certainly had slave labor. This is in direct opposition to what it says in the magisterium. Like the church had been on record for some right. centuries against this. And so every Catholic and every Catholic organization that contravened this was doing something that I think we see in, in public life a lot today, saying, like, hey, look, uh, the, those rules are great, but they're not for me. I'm a little different. And it's was no different then, I suppose, than it is now. People picking and choosing the, the stuff that they you know, that they choose to be bound by. And the chapter says, and I, I will stand by this. You know, part of our national conversation is, well, if 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 that's the case, then we have to cancel all these people. Uh, we can no longer honor them. And you know, my line on it is, it, it doesn't mean that they weren't great men. But the fact that they went against the magisterium of the church means they weren't as great as they could have and should have been. And I, I think that's where we probably have to leave it. It's not a completely satisfying compromise, but there's nothing that's satisfying uh, about all of history. It, and it's none of us, none of us is as great of a person as we should should be. You know, that's the nature Absolutely. of original sin. That's the nature of the human condition. And I wanted to break in there, Dan, just because we only have about two minutes left. Um, if you had to give listeners one reason or one more reason why they should go out and buy this book and read it, what would it be as we wrap up here? Here's one thing I'll say, and, and you were talking about this earlier uh, before I came on. I wrote this book, a large part of it, during the pandemic. And as everybody knows, during the pandemic, uh, churches are shut down. You cannot uh, attend a public mass. You have to give up parts of your faith experience that are really critical. And I got to say, writing a book about colonial Catholics who were denied these experiences uh, at a time when, for a lot of Americans, they were experiencing this sort of deprivation for the first time, it really gave me an appreciation 
for all the things that we sometimes take for granted, uh, being able to attend mass weekly, going to the adoration chapel. And I hope it does. If it connects with people in that way, I hope it's a reminder that like, look, it's not a book just about the revolution. It's not a book about a bunch of people who are dead. All these questions are still live. We're still yes. living through all of this stuff in yes. different forms today. And that would be the way that I would try to sell it to people who might be skeptical. Well, I want to read this. Like it's, it's a bunch of old dead white guys. What, what do I need to know about that? All right, Dan, you, you thank you so much. Hey, uh, stay on the line with us after we close out the show. I want to just talk with you for a few more minutes. But uh, pick up Liberty's Lions, folks. You've been listening to Red Sea Roundup. And remember, go out and love your neighbor. See you next time.